Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. I don't know if you've ever thought about how similar adulthood is to high school. Think about it. A lot of adulthood is filled with doing things we don't want to do, dealing with things we don't want to deal with, trying to impress other people, and trying to find a group of people who we connect with as we try and figure out who we are. We jump from interest to interest. We self-select. We look on from a distance at those who seem to have their lives put together, and we wonder, "Mm, why not me? We judge and look down on people who are not a part of our group or who think differently than us. And when you think about it, it's a little weird how similar high school is to adulthood. And I think we don't necessarily always see it because we're taught, whether we realize it or not, that high school and college is where we're supposed to figure out who we are before we get spit out into the real world. But when you think about it, I think all of us are still constantly trying to find that answer to the question that we've been asking ourselves since we were 13 or 14 or 15 years old. Who am I? Over the course of our lives, we continually wrestle with this question. Who am I? We wrestle with this question so often because our identity is in a constant state of misplacement. Ultimately, We become who people expect us to be, or who our environment deems is the most correct. And look, I know right away, there are some of you watching that are like, no, 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 that's not how it works. I'm an individual. I make my own decisions. I'm not swayed by other people. That's that's not right. You're wrong. That's not me. Isn't it, though? Look, a harsh reality that no one really wants to accept is that individualism is a mirage, That's not to say we don't have individual gifts or talents or interests, but the idea that we are somehow individually immune to the sways of the things around us and that we're not actually affected, our decisions aren't affected, our identity isn't affected by the things around us, well, that's just an illusion. It's a lie that we tell ourselves. And look, we all do it. Whether we realize it or not, we all do it. The truth is, in the world in which we live, our identity is formed and shaped through our culture, through our history, through our values, our families, our relationships, media of all types, experiences, and the general consensus of the world around us. We are constantly defining and redefining who we are so that we can feel like we have a grasp on our identity. But underneath all of that hides that one question. Who am I? I believe that question is the most consequential question you will ever ask yourself. And the answer to that question will always dictate how you live. Today, I want to spend some time looking at three different things. Traditional identity formation, modern identity formation, and the Christian identity. And let me show my hand up front. There's only one of those three that is fulfilling and life-giving. Because only one of these is freely given, not formed. Genesis 1.27 tells us, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes 
saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Isaiah 43, 4, you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Who am I? Who are you? Well, we are fully loved children of God. Unfortunately, though, sometimes it's just really hard for us to believe that. And because of that, we're never able to rest in our true identity. Instead, our deep, deep dissatisfaction grows, and we jump from group to group and idea to idea and crutch to crutch, searching for some kind of meaning, some kind of significance, yet always coming up frustrated and empty. Traditional identity formation tells us that we are who we are because of our family and our community. Modern identity formation tells us that we are who we are because culture has told us that we get to decide who we want to be. But Christian identity is based solely on the fact of how God sees us. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. In the New Testament of the Bible, we find a letter written by a disciple of Christ named Paul to the Ephesian church. And in the opening statement of this letter, Paul lays out the new identity given to a person when they have surrendered their life to Christ. Ephesians 1 tells us we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've been chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, and unconditionally loved and accepted. We have received the hope of spending eternity with God And when we're in Christ, when our identity is in Christ, these aspects of our identity can never be altered by what we do because how God sees us does not change. We are fully loved children of God. And if you don't understand this, your identity will always be stolen away from you. Before we move into a bit of a historical timeline, we first need to get a decent grasp on what identity is at its core. Read any sociologist, psychologist, or thought leader, and you'll get various definitions um, when it comes to identity. What I found to be the most consistent from all of them, and what scripture shows us as well, is this. Our identity comes from two primary factors. First, it's a sense of self, meaning we have some kind of understanding of how we're wired, our experiences, things we like, things we don't. Our sense of self tells us what the most important thing is in our life. The second primary factor that makes up our identity is our sense of worth, particularly where we get our sense of worth and who is validating our sense of worth. So for example, if I'm an executive with no family, few friends who grew up in an environment where maybe nothing was good enough, and who has every new piece of tech that comes to the market, odds are my identity is based on what I achieve and what I own. If I'm a person who thinks that the color of my skin is what makes me more effective than anyone else, that it somehow helps me achieve my goals and ensures the life and culture that I want and entitles me to treatment that's different from other people, odds are my identity is based on my race. If I'm a person who experienced the unexpected death of a loved one and the ensuing reality of that pain in my life has called into question how I trust others or how I love others, because I want to protect myself from that kind of pain. Odds are my identity is based on loss. If I'm a self-professed Christian who was treated unfairly through maybe a good portion of my life, 
who prides themselves on speaking up for those who don't have a voice and finding every opportunity to make my voice heard so that people see what I see, odds are my identity is not based in Christ. It's based on justice. At its very core, identity is based on our sense of self and our sense of worth. Another way to look at our sense of self and our worth is being honest with what you idolize. Ask yourself the question, what is it that you worship? What is the thing that gives you the most meaning? What is it that gives you a sense of purpose and control? I think if we're honest, we don't often want to look under those rocks. We don't want to see what's underneath. If you really want to know where your sense of self is coming from, of what it is that's most important to you, I would challenge you to take a look at your bank account, your calendar, and probably your social media feed. What I think you'll find is really an ever-shifting sense of self. You might find that the thing that you worship and idolize are not what you expected at all. You might find what is actually most important to you, what gives you the most meaning, is your kids, or your spouse, or your single life, or your friends. It might be power, sex, money. It might be justice or peace. It might be achievement. It might be experiences, travel, food, drink, your gender, or your political affiliation. And listen... On the surface of it, some of those things aren't really bad, right? I mean, I love my wife. I love my daughter. I love my job. I want to do good. I want to be an agent of peace and justice and reconciliation. But get this, and this is a hard one for us to understand. Even good things elevated to the level of worship are damaging and dangerous. Because we're trying to derive meaning from things that simply cannot give us meaning. They can't define our worth because those things are imperfect. What happens when you look for worth or a sense of self from people or things or achievement? What happens when the power that you thought you had is gone? What happens when someone lets you down? What happens when they hurt you? What happens when the money dries up? What happens when you realize that sex isn't everything? What happens if someone gets sick or dies? What happens when the thing that you're so passionate about decides to make a left turn and it's not something that you really care about anymore? What happens? We become stuck. We become frustrated. We become discouraged. We spiral until we find another identity to pick up. The only one that gives you worth is God. Not you, not your spouse, not your kids, not your job, not your friends, not your gender or your political persuasion, not your church or your small group, not your sexual preference, not what you own or the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how much power you think you have or how damaged you think you might be. When you embrace the reality that God is the only one who gives worth, that He alone is worthy to be worshipped, it changes your entire life. Understand, no one values you more than God. And if you want to know how valuable you are, just look at the cross. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness 
of our trespasses. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, became a nobody, took on the sins of humanity, conquered death so that you can be somebody, so that you could understand your worth. Because God has an unadulterated, unending, unconditional love for you. David Benner, in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, says, An identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. How different would your life be if you actively believe that? We spend the majority of our lives allowing other people to dictate our identity, parents, siblings, friends, cultural moments, our own desires and wants, and the list can go on forever and ever, and we miss out on the paradigm-shifting, life-altering reality that our core identity is that we are fully loved children of God. You can't make God stop loving you. Now, that doesn't mean there's not expectations. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. God's love for you is not an excuse to do whatever you want. It's not a justification to be a jerk. It's not a reason to think that sin doesn't matter. It's not a reason to think that we shouldn't draw close and do what we can to to free our lives from the things that hold us back. It's not an excuse to say that we're better than anyone else. Because what we see in Scripture over and over again is that all of us are sinners, that we all fall short of the glory of God, and yet He still loves us. And yet, we are, still full love, we are still fully loved children of God, in spite of ourselves. Several years ago, there was a season of my life when I was pretty involved in prison ministry. My brother had been in and out of prison for a good chunk of his life, and I had really just a lot of hurt and anger and baggage towards him. And... What really softened my heart towards him was getting involved in prison ministry. There were a few things from that season of my life that left, I mean, really indelible marks on me. The first being coming to an understanding that there's not much that separates us from one another other than a few decisions. When you are leading a Bible study with a guy serving life in prison for multiple counts of murder, and you hear his story, and you get to know him, you realize pretty quickly the only reason your life didn't go down the same or a similar road is because of a few decisions and a few key points in your life. It brings to life the reality that we really are all sinners. That doesn't take away the crimes or the hurt or the pain that someone caused. It doesn't take away the the consequences of the choices, but it definitely gave me perspective. When you get up close and personal in the lives of anyone, even the people you're scared of or who might have caused pain or who are different or believe different things than you, you see quickly that you're not actually that different from each other. We are all sinners in need of grace. We are all people with hurt and trauma and baggage. And oftentimes the only things that separate us are a series of decisions and how much support we have. The second thing that stuck with me is what I call prison faith. 
Um, there's not a lot of hope in prison, and I, that's kind of a no-dust statement. Really, the system is set up for failure. The inmates know it. The families of inmates know it. The guards know it. It's just a reality that exists. And because of that, hope is really in short supply. So inmates, what they'll do is they kind of pick and choose various tenets of faith from every religion to make a mishmash faith um, and to just kind of give them any sense of hope. Prison faith, it's that idea that we take what we can to find hope, to, to maybe even justify our behavior, but to just give us any kind of semblance of identity. When I look around today in our culture, I kind of think that is the predominant faith now, prison faith. When you look around, maybe even when you look at your own life, more times than not, what we find is a hodgepodge faith system that we've built based on the opinions of others, our own desire to clear our conscience, um, a desire for hope, and with the ability to uh, do really whatever we want without consequence. How exactly did we end up there? It's not because of the mirage of individualism. It's because as a culture, we've slowly been moving to this place in time for hundreds of years, ignoring or outright denying our identity for an ever-shifting sense of self and worth. Tim Keller, who is, is brilliant, I highly encourage you to check him out anytime you can. He walks through the history of the traditional and modern identity formation process really better than anyone I've come across. In, uh, one of the things he, he really lays out is he talks about in the beginning of recorded culture, the greatest good is honor. And that's how identity was gifted. The traditional formation process was based on really a shame and honor culture. And you could still see this played out in developing nations in the world today or, or nations that might primarily be Buddhist or, or tribal or Islamic or even uh, in the Amish and Mormon communities to an extent. The main idea is that community and your family in particular has a system of shame and honor that leads your life. The greatest honor comes from sacrifice and obedience. If you sacrifice for your family, for your tribe, you are a hero, and in turn, yourself and your worth are really identified for you. But if you leave your family or tribe, if you step out of bounds, if you go against the norm, you are shamed. Then that is your identity. You get to the time of Greek and Roman philosophers, and what we see is that culture is now run through really a filter of... of, um, of a sacred order of moral absolutes. And the community would prescribe value and worth based on how well you follow those moral absolutes. And it didn't matter, you know, which religion they came from. It was agreed upon culturally that those were the moral absolutes. And then we arrive at the age of enlightenment. And there still exists this idea of moral absolutes, but things begin to change. And then when you get to the romanticism, those sacred moral absolutes What's left of them is no longer discovered through community or your family or really even through faith. It's discovered through your emotions and self-expression. Essentially, a switch has been made that it doesn't matter what objective truth is or even what cultural truth is. What matters is how you feel and how, to choo- and how you choose to express yourself. When we arrive at the postmodern age, which is post-World War II, There's no longer moral good at all outside of yourself. 
all moral value is constructed by yourself and the cultural consensus around you. It's not your community. It's not your family. It's not your faith. It's the loudest voices. There is no moral absolutes any longer. You determine what you want those moral absolutes to be, undefined by anything other than yourself and the loudest voices around you. So essentially, prison faith. Traditional and modern identity formation processes are deeply flawed. And I would say that modern identity formation is even more deeply flawed. Because modern formation says, you determine what is good, and then you could change it as it goes. Traditional says, your self and worth come from your duties, not your desires. Modern says, your self and worth come solely from your desires, dreams, and aspirations, and anybody else doesn't matter. Traditional says, you go outside to learn what the highest good is, and then you go inward to argue with yourself to become a better person. Modern says, you go inside and define what is good and true. Then you validate yourself. Then you go outside and you argue with the world around you until they agree with you. Now, both the traditional and the modern identity formation processes have some good things about them, but at their base, they are deeply, deeply flawed because they are based first and foremost on what you do. It's based on how you act, on how you perform, on how you respond, on how you feel at any given moment. And quite honestly, both processes ultimately make us into meaner, more impatient, divided, and arrogant people. The basis of your identity is not formed. It is given. The basis of your identity is not formed by your performance. It's not formed by your feelings. It's not formed by groupthink. It's not formed by the color of your skin or your sexual preference, your gender or political affiliation. It's not formed by your career, your family, your loss, the amount of money you have. It's not formed by your parents or your friends. It's not formed by social media. It's not formed by anything else. Your core foundation, your identity is not formed by your insecurities or your pastor or your church or your neighborhood or your education level or your mistakes or your struggle. Your identity is given to you by the creator. And it says, first and foremost, you are a fully loved child of God. Man, is it hard to believe that sometimes. So instead, we allow everything and anything to become the base of our identity. And I want to be super clear, all of those other things are really weak and fragile, which is why it's so easy to become mean, divided, impatient, and arrogant. We'll say things like, you know what's wrong with the world today is people telling me that I'm wrong. People telling me that my feelings are wrong. What's wrong with the world today is that it doesn't look like it used to. What's wrong with the world today is tradition has been thrown away. What's wrong with the world today is people telling me what to believe. What's wrong with the world today is you not validating my truth. And so we'll tell ourselves to make the world right, everyone should be free to live their lives however they want. Except we don't really want that. We just say we do. We go out demanding agreement. And when people don't, It is not simply a disagreement. It's an attack. It feels like someone is coming to battle with everything we are because these base identities are so weak and so 
fragile. When your identity is defined by your race, your wealth, your gender, your sexual preference, politics, interest, performance, career, and everything in between, it's so fragile we do whatever we can to protect it. So we fight. We attack. We destroy. We dismiss anyone who may disagree. When your identity is misplaced, when you don't understand who God has created you to be, when you don't understand your worth, when you don't understand how God sees you, we are completely undone by the crushing weight of an identity we were never meant to hold in the first place. Whereas the traditional and modern idea of identity is weak and fragile, Christian identity is secure because it's not based on anything you do. It is based squarely on how God sees you. Now, Christian identity is also available to all. And I know that makes you recoil, or at least some of you recoil. And you might go, really? Hmm, Really? Is it though? What about the whole no one has eternal life without Jesus thing? What about the whole you shouldn't live this way or that way thing? Listen, don't confuse the promise of eternal life and the reality of forgiveness or expectation with how we should live with how God sees you. You could be the worst person in history. That doesn't change the fact that you're still God's creation. And that's hard for us to reconcile. We want God to fit in a box of our own understanding, and he doesn't, and he won't. Look, it doesn't matter your past, your struggles, your mistakes. Forgiveness is offered to all. The same can't be said for the traditional and modern idea of identity because they are incredibly excluding. Whereas a Christian identity says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, redemption is grace is offered to all of those who surrender. But even if you deny that, that offer is still on the table. And it doesn't mean that you're still not loved. The traditional and modern mindset says you're superior to the people around you. You're superior to the people who disagree with you. It's arrogant. We've gotten to a point now where we look down on anyone who does not share our chosen identity. If your identity is in your achievement, you look down on those who are less successful. If you're proud that you're white, you look down on anyone who's not. If you're proud that you're in shape, it's easy to look down on those who are less so. If your identity is the things that you've lost or the things you don't have, You look upon those with much as detached from reality. If you're a proud justice warrior, you belittle those who don't share the veracity of your convictions. If you're proud to be of a particular political party, then everyone else is trying to undermine the country. If you're proud to be an American, it's easy to vilify those who are coming, looking for help and looking for a new home. If you're a part of the LGBTQ community and someone disagrees with you, it's easy to think they hate you, even if they don't. If you're proud to be a man, it's easy to think that women are less than. If you're proud to be a woman, it's easy to think all men are out to get you. And listen, listen to me. Christians with misplaced identity are the worst offenders of all. Because we hide our chosen identity behind Christ and we use him as an excuse and as a shield for being dismissive, permissive, arrogant, lazy, and hateful. 
does it matter what the chosen identity is? The end result is the same. A belief that says you are better than someone else and you're not. It's not about the traditional identity. It's not about the modern identity. It's about the Christian identity. We are all made in the image of God, which is why each of us has value and dignity. When you are embracing any other identity other than the one based in Christ, you exclude everyone else around you, whether you realize it or not, because ultimately you are making other things into an idol. You are making the decision to say, that's the thing that is most important to me. That's the thing that gives me worth and value. Which means if it doesn't give you worth and value, then you are less than. And we lose sight that our identity is not earned, it's not formed, but it's given. And because of that identity, it changes us. Not the other way around. It's not earned. Ephesians 2, 8-10 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What Paul is saying here is we we don't earn grace. We don't earn forgiveness. It's freely given. And because of that, that's what actually changes us. When we recognize who we are in the eyes of God, when we surrender and accept that forgiveness, forgiveness, it changes us. It inspires us and spurs us on to do good. It inspires us and spurs us on to not only accept the unadulterated love of God, but to be the hands and feet of God to the world around us. We are dearly and deeply loved children of God. That is the first thing. That is our base identity. And everything changes when we begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us. If our base identity is how God sees us, there is no longer the need to find our worth in the people around us or our circumstances or our achievements or whatever thing has decided to amp us up for this week. It allows us to live humbly and consistently instead of changing who we are based on the opinions of others or the loudest voices or our successes or failures or struggles or mistakes or our wants. It gives us It gives us the opportunity to experience God's unconditional love every day and empowers us to share that love with others. In the book of Matthew, we see Jesus say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is the gospel message for those that surrender their lives to Christ, who choose to follow Christ Everything changes. The more you try to figure out who you are on your own, the more lost you will become because you will change your base identity. You will change that base identity over and over and over again. Love God and love your neighbor and you will discover who God has called you to be. Try to find yourself and you will constantly be searching and being frustrated. He says, follow me and you will find who you really are. Lose yourself in the service of God. Accept who you are in the eyes of God and discover the significance you have always hoped to find. 
That doesn't mean there's not expectations. That doesn't mean that we don't change. It doesn't mean that we don't grow. It doesn't mean we don't have to give things up. But that promise of meaning, that promise of hope, that reality of worth and significance is there. The hard reality is nobody ever completely lives from a Christian identity. Because we're human. We make mistakes. We have struggles. We sin. We make poor decisions. And we'll still sometimes find ways to elevate a different identity above the one that should be our base. And you know what? God still loves us. Embracing and living out of a true Christian identity, it's a lifelong endeavor. That's what discipleship is. It's a lifelong endeavor. You don't suddenly just arrive. You just keep moving forward because, look, we're all works in progress. But there are some things that we could do now, that we could do every day to help cultivate and protect our base identity. Because when you take a step back, I think we can all see that we're changed by four very specific things. First, we're changed by our imagination. It's so easy to try and rationalize God and put him in a box of our own making so that we can understand. We want to understand. But you know what? That's not a God I want to worship. If we could fully understand God, what's the point? But when we surrender to the unknown, to the wonder of creation or the people around us, when we allow ourselves to ask hard questions that we may never know the answers to, when we face hurtful experiences and we place our hope in things unseen, it changes us. Let your imagination be captivated by God. Let your imagination be captivated by his word. Let your imagination be captivated by his love for you. And as you do, I guarantee you will find an unending thirst for more. We are also changed by what or who we worship. Worship is is so much more than singing a song of praise and thanksgiving. Worship is how we live. Quite literally in the Bible, we see worship shown as the lowering of ourselves so that he might be lifted up. You can worship in song. You can worship through your creativity. You can worship with what you have and what you don't. The whole point is you are putting Christ central of your life. It's about making sure that Christ is always at the center of your life. Who or what we worship will dictate more than anything else how we change. There is only one thing worthy of your worship. There's only one person worthy of your worship, and he alone is the one who freely gives us our truest identity. We're also changed by our habits. We're we're changed by things we do over and over and over again. If your habits are consuming every sort of media, living through social media channels, you know, curating your life to appear like something it's not, focusing solely on yourselves, figuring out ways to lie and deceit so that you can get ahead, ignoring what's important and having a misplaced base identity, then your life's going to reflect that. That's just the reality. Whatever identity you decide to put at your core, that's what your life is going to reflect. You'll be changed for sure. 
but in a way that will ultimately lead to the destruction of who you really are. If your habits are using your imagination, worship, prayer, fasting, reading scripture, serving others, loving well, taking care of yourself in a way that is honoring to God, that too will change you. And look, old habits are hard to break. We all know this. And new habits are challenging to form. But they help shape us and they help keep us on track. And and that's really one of the most important reasons why we should be connected with others. Because we need each other, right? I can't live this life on my own. I can't stay on track on my own because I'm... I mess up. I make mistakes. I fail. I struggle. I want to grab for other identities instead of the one true identity that God has already given me. We need people in our lives. We need to be in small groups with each other. We need to be in formation groups together and discipleship groups together. We need to be able to encourage one another and laugh with one another and high five each other and hug each other and keep each other going and and really even speak truth in the hard moments of our lives to each other. We need one another to help keep us on track, to help us continue to form good habits. Which leads me to the last thing that we're changed by. We're changed by who or what we spend time with. Oftentimes it seems that people want to just live in a bubble. Look, that doesn't help anyone. It definitely doesn't help yourself. And sometimes people want to live without any kind of wisdom or expectation That doesn't really help anyone either. You are who or what you spend time with. Period. So choose wisely. Look, there are a million things vying for your attention every day, begging you to make it the core of your identity. And I just want to encourage you, hold firm. Lean into the things that change us for good. And don't be afraid, don't be afraid to ask the question, who am I? Just remember that first and foremost, above all other things, you are a fully loved child of God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are good even when we don't see it. You are just even when we don't see it or even when we fail. God, you tell us that we are dearly loved children. You offer us forgiveness and hope and redemption and grace. But oftentimes we forget that or we ignore that or we run away from that and we reach for everything under the sun to help define who we are. And we're just tired and we're miserable and we're frustrated. God, I pray that anyone listening to this message, whenever or wherever they're at, God, that your spirit would be at work in them, that you would help remind us constantly of the hope that we have in you when we surrender, that you would remind us constantly, that you would bring other people around to help us remind us constantly of what our true identity is. Lord, may you be the center of our life, truly that you would be Savior And Lord, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. And that's what makes it so life-changing. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And may we...
be your hands and feet in a world around us that oftentimes seems that they are just constantly in war with one another. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.